the marvelous Jeff Sturgeon, who created The Last Cities of Earth, yep. uh, on your show recently. And um, I was uh, lucky enough that I got invited to that anthology as well. I got to write a, a hugely fun short story in that anthology for Last Cities of Earth about uh, a con job, uh, kind of, uh, well, you know, it's a heist, so it, it goes how heists go, but uh, in that like post-apocalyptic setting in London. It was uh, interesting and a lot of fun to get to write that story for him. So, oh, that's interesting. That That is like, um, it, it, it's like in a, a con adventure, like something like um, Paul Newman, Red, Robert Redford would have done, like The Sting, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, like The Sting or The Italian Job or, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I have a lot of fun writing cons. I only do it in short stories. I haven't done a con job novel yet, although I may have one in the works. Um, but I, I, I even have a, a, a series of short stories about uh, two guys in the 1890s who run around doing con jobs, basically. It's, just, it's a genre that I love, just the, the, the cleverness of it and having to really think through how can you show a reader, especially as opposed to like something on a movie screen, how can you show them all the elements without tipping your hand so that they're still surprised by how it works out at the end. I used to, I mean, they don't do that very often nowadays, but, I mean, Sting was one of the movies I loved. I liked the, this TV series called Feather and Father with Stephanie Powers yep. and Harold Gould. He was the con man, she was the lawyer, got him out of trouble, always ended up helping him with the cons. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, right now, I mean, right now we've got, um, Leverage just came back with the new series, Leverage Yeah, Leverage is fun. Which is so much fun. I just, I have a blast watching those. Yeah, there's, I love those shows. I love those shows about con men. I also kind of like shows about spies. Um, I miss the show called mm -hmm. Burn Notice. Oh, yes. I love yes. that show uh, because they were basically con Michael jobs. Corbin, yep. It, it was basically con, con jobs. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it was great. And, uh, uh, what a killer, <laughs> what a killer cast, too. Oh, I know. Like, uh, Bruce Campbell was just brilliant on that show. I love so him. Sam X. Mm-hmm. Ex-Navy SEAL. Nope, my, just my the guy who did not have patience for any of it, but was good at all of it. I know, and, yeah. I know, I know. Because uh, whenever there's, um, my brother both, both my brother and I like spy stuff, and um, there's been a series, a uh, documentary series about spycraft. And okay. when I'm telling my brother something, he goes, bunch of bitchy little girls. He has to throw a Sam X line in. <laughs> wow. That's that's at the awesome. beginning of the that's the beginning of the series, and it's in almost every. It's in, I think it's in the opening for almost the entire series. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. But um, well, I might have to go check that out. But yeah, uh, oh, the Spycraft documentary really interesting. The one I saw yesterday was about surveillance and. Um, man, the Russians are good at it. They, they, they told some of the stuff that the Russians do. Oh, my God, they're creative. I bet. I, yeah, I, know, I haven't seen it, but I can only imagine. I mean, they have to counter it, of course, and their counters are mm -hmm. just as creative. But, I mean, they said one of the things they said was the American embassy in Russia was built by Russian laborers, and they put surveillance uh, devices inside the steel structure of the building. Oh, wow. 
And so the top of it, the top is where all of the the trigger was and stuff. So they said they had to cut the first three, um, the three the 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 three stories at the top of the building off, and then have American crew come in to finish the job. <laughs> That's genius. I know. I just went. It's just. uh, And then there was another one, and this is really super interesting. You know that musical instrument that is on um, uh, Doctor Who, Midsummer Murders. Uh, It's been a lot. It it it, it's like an air instrument, and you put your hand over it, and it plays music. Oh yes, a theremin. Yes. Well, him, the guy who did that, was also a spy. He was a Russian spy. (laughs) And he came up with this incredibly brilliant device where they presented this plaque of the seal of the United States. Inside of it was a device that didn't have any kind of components, nothing you could detect. And all it t- took was a signal from, like, a, it could be a, a four or five miles away from an office toward where that was, and it would turn on the mic when he was having a discussion. Wow. And take it, and, and then uh, it would project out. But wow, there was no, crazy. But there was no component other than, like, a little antenna that would just look like a little piece of metal. That's crazy. That's really, it's super fascinating stuff, the the ways we use and abuse technology. <laughs> yeah, and then the CIA did something that really upset me. They actually tried to make a cat into a surveillance tool. Oh. And they surgically, no, the they surgically put stuff into the cat so it could uh, photograph here everything but the good news is a cat is a terrible thing to use for something like that (laughs) because they're very territorial so you teach the cat all the stuff at CIA probably Langdon or something like that and and then as soon as you put it in a different environment to test it they forget everything in their training (laughs) that's funny so they said they they it, it, they didn't go through. Apparently, well, this Russian yeah. had a love of cats, and cats were always going in and out of his office. So this cat was supposed to go into the office. In and out. But you know, it's funny with cats. You know, to, to to sidetrack us, I actually have managed to train my cat, and uh, uh, it, it is something I, I find that. Uh, if I don't do the activity that I've trained her to do for too long, it takes her uh, a heartbeat to remember what to do and how to do it. And, uh, of course, the, the activity, because I know you're about to ask, that I've trained her to do is if you lean over and you sing to her, you can dance if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. She'll actually get up on her back legs with her paws up in the air and take a couple steps and do a little dance with you. But she'd only do it in your home because they can't do it outside. Right, right, because that's where she's used to doing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but that's really cool. That's so cute. 
So she's a little ballerina. She is. She is. She's a little. She's a little dance kitty. <laughs> the best I can do is say, "Okay, Pie, come on, time for food," and she'll get up and she'll follow me. <laughs> well, you know that. Yes, yes, that's built in at a very uh, food-oriented level, right? Well, that's all. That, with my cat, <laughs> that's all that matters. Her feeding, right? her toys, her playtime, her. <laughs> She's the center of the world. Yeah. Don't you know that, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. My apologies. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, so, okay, let's see. Where were we? We were talking short stories. Is yeah, that we were right? talk yeah, we were talking about short stories. You were talking about a con man story. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And so, so yeah, so uh, I highly recommend reading all the marvelous stories in, in the Jeff Sturgeon anthology, Last of His Birth. But then I also recently wrote one for Bain that was a lot of fun to write um, uh, called Black Box. There's going to be an anthology coming out, uh, I think this fall, uh, from them that uh, is basically like steampunk in space. And and I just I found this inspiration with this idea of uh, a colony out in the, the outer rim, like out by the Oort Cloud, like way out, uh, that has sentient airships. Uh, which is how people get around for their transportation. And so, so the main characters, well, there's a few humans that are central to the story. The main character is actually a sentient airship. And that was just, it was a lot of fun to write. A lot of fun. That's cool. Um, I, yeah, love, yeah. I love short stories. I love short stories. It, it is a complete talent to do a really good short story. And it's, Definitely different than writing a novel, that's for sure. Yeah, because it's all so condensed. And yes. But it can't be too, you can't have it too thick. You can't have it too wordy or something because then it gets, it's not good. It it has to have everything you want. It, it's it's like the art of not too much, but enough. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, yeah, you've got to get in there. You've got to introduce the characters got to actually help the reader care about the characters mm -hmm. and and you've got to do it in the space that they would normally watch a sitcom in the amount of time they're going to be reading your story and that's that can be difficult i mean i i know for me like i like it when i get into a novel and i'm loving the characters and i'm like okay yeah i've got hundreds of pages of this this is going to be awesome so so trying to to instill those same things uh, in a short story, it's definitely it was a different set of writing skills to to figure that out. I think it's really interesting and cool because, um, well, I got my training uh, sending it into magazines and anthologies. Um, okay. So that's how I got it, and, and I mean, they really magazines don't publish short stories anymore, so that's gone. Um, but there's, you know, there's, you know, books that, like, uh, if you're a mystery fan, Ellery Queen, if you're a science fiction fan, Isaac Asimov, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's still places where you can get short stories. And there's the anthology. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, there, there are a bunch of, like, you know, Asimov's Queen, um, Lightspeed. Uh, there, there are a bunch of, especially with, you know, uh, uh, digital presentations, you know, picking up the, the digital versions of a magazine, you can find those short story archives, and there, there's still a few places out there. I know. I, the thing is, 
I think one of the more interesting things is to read from the Golden Age of both science okay. fiction and mysteries because these people were artists, um, really amazingly good artists when it came to that. Agatha Christie was a great artist when it came to the short story. She, yes. Not only did she get you to care, she had so many characters going in her short stories um, that people only think of her as Perot and Miss Marple, but she has a bunch of other characters that were oh, regular. And there's so Although I was always more of a Dorothy Sayers fan myself. I like Sayers, uh, too. I love Sayers. Yep. Wrote the world's first murder mystery with no murder. <laughs> yep, she's she was awesome. Um, yeah, you know, the, it, it, it's not to to talk about the state of writing too much, but um, I definitely see a difference in the writing methodologies of today, where it, it feels to me, and again, it's just my feeling that a lot of modern writers are trained out of in, inserting narratorial observation because it, it, it's considered author intrusion or it can be considered author intrusion um, depending on the author's voice. And and I, I think that's what makes a story a piece of art is that the, the narrator is a character also. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and you look at, uh, you know, the bestsellers of the day, uh, you know, people like Gaiman or, or Terry Pratchett and the, the narratorial voice is half the story. And, and yet so many of the stories that I read that's stripped away and it's just focused on this specific character arc working this way, doing that. And I don't know, I, I, I guess for the style of reading, reading that I like to do, uh, I really enjoy that, that author voice in the narrator. You know where I'm having fun with that is um, I do, I have a radio show, a uh, second radio show where I do radio plays. And okay. when I write, I, I have a lot of people writing radio plays, but I always do at least one of my own. And what I like to do is experiment, because when you're doing a radio show, you have to have a narrator of some kind, or the audience doesn't know what's going on, um, basically. Um, but what I do is try to experiment. Like I had this one set in the 1920s where my narrator was also the lead actress in the show. So she was saying, it was like, she was writing the articles, and the articles was the narration, and went, and then it would go into the action of her doing something, and then another article, which was the narration. And so it was never uh, some other person coming in and narrating the story. It was the lead actress the whole time. I, that's, That's like fun. that was so much fun to write, and it was so much fun to hear the uh, people doing it. So that's one that, of my that, that actually, that, yeah, that reminds me of um, Carrie Bradshaw, you know, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker mm -hmm. in uh, Sex in the City. They they used the articles as the narration on those episodes. It was uh, one of the things I found really charming about that show. Yeah, and they got rid of it after the site, the first season. Maybe that's why I stopped watching. Yeah, I just I I I thought it was charming too. I thought that that's why I started watching it because I thought, oh, this is really different. And the thing that made yeah. it charming and different, like, it, okay, we're not gonna do that anymore. How often does that happen, right? I yeah, <laughs> I know it's unfortunate. I mean, some it, it's there's there's some shows where they have things that are really unique and well, like we were talking about Burn Notice. 
I love that when um, Michael does the narration of his uh, different kinds of, of spycraft yeah. that he's going to do to con the bad guys. Uh, that's like one of my favorite parts of the whole show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where he's sitting explaining the spycraft to you, and yeah, that's a, that is a lot of fun. Well, you know, you never know with shows, uh, movies too. There's there's so many decision makers <laughs> behind yeah. the camera. It's it's crazy. It's a it's actually a lesson that I learned recently. I was um, uh, got asked by a friend to work on a movie, and I ended up helping produce it uh, just because I was running around solving problems and uh, turned into a whole thing and that was exciting we'll get into that in a minute but one of the things that I learned was uh, was like just even when it comes down to shooting the scene how many people have a voice in that and how many ideas there are on the table it, it always comes down to there has to be one decider that's got a really strong vision otherwise it gets washed away in ideas I know, I know. That's very true. And and if you got too many cooks too, too many people yes. saying yep. what they want, like the suits coming in and they have to have their thing because yeah, they, like see it this way, make, you know, the audiences will like this. This tested well. Yeah. yeah. To make it relevant, uh, yeah. you have to do this, and it ruins it. It can, but that's where that central decider has to be. You know autonomous with their voice they have to have the power to say no yeah that's true i just this is totally off subject but there was a <laughs> there was a mini series about shirley mclean's book out on the limb and i read i love books where they talk about how they made movies and how they incorporated different things from their life into the movie and stuff like that, because it was it, it was about the audition process and all different kinds of things. But one of the things she talked about was when her and her uh, writing partner went in to see the head of the studio, and she was they they the, they were pitching the story. One of uh, the the people that was there kept saying, "Well, Shirley talking because it's about Shirley McLean." Well, Shirley is too, you know, she knows where she's going. She's rich. She's a movie star. She's beautiful. Can we have her, like, get into a terrible car accident before she goes into the search? And Shirley <laughs> goes, um, hello, uh, this actually happened to me, and that didn't happen. <laughs> That's genius. Wow. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah, she's too perfect. We can't have, the audience won't relate to it. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't have a lot of experience yet on sets. That was the, the first time in a couple of decades that I've been on a set. But uh, and it definitely, it definitely wasn't that bad on the set that I was on. But there definitely, there were a lot of voices that were trying to push ideas out there. It was a thing for sure. Well, the good news was the head of the studio at the time was his own man, and he didn't listen to her. He, okay. He just said. Brilliant. He just said, "No, nah, we're going to go with the book." <laughs> I mean, after all, you bought the book to make it into a miniseries. Yeah, you should kind of follow that. And why do you yeah, want to cripple Shirley? Yeah, I've heard horror stories about times that, you know, people bought a book to turn into a series or a movie or whatever just because they like the title or something like that. Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting transition. Everybody's really wedded to their art and their piece of the art is, is something else that I discovered 
much more than I thought they would. You know, you, you hear all the stories about Hollywood and about how, you know, it's just a machine in the business and this and that. And I don't know. I, I got lucky enough to have a very good experience where everyone was deeply passionate about their aspect of the art of what they were doing. I think that's better. I mean, I, it, I, it, I thought it was pretty cool. Because <laughs> yeah. it makes it, if you guys are all invested, then the audience will be invested. It's just that simple. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we were, we were, it, it was nice. It was nice. We, we did all, you know, a lot of disparate voices, but everybody did line up, um, uh, behind the, the guy who created the film, uh, who was the, you know, writer, original conceptual guy. Uh, it, it was fun. I just, I, I always think it's interesting. Um, one of the things there was, a a movie called Somewhere in Time, and everybody in that movie wanted to be there, uh, went out of their way to get into it, chose the part, chose to direct, chose to do the music because of different personal reasons why they connected with the script. And it wasn't a big hit because it, was, it wasn't a big hit at the time because they really the studio didn't do it right i'm sorry sorry um but <laughs> they didn't um but when it got to cable and at that time vhs and stuff like that that's when it became a hit because all of a sudden huh. the mystical beautiful passion that everybody had and the beautiful words of richard matheson came to life for them and it just it 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 became what do they call it um they call it something when it's um i can't remember what the name of it when it when it's a big hit and it's not supposed to be um other movies are like that 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 are just a breakout maybe well it's, it's it it wasn't it was years later so you can't really call it a breakout movie can you oh Right, yeah, no, that would not be. But I can't remember. There's an actual name for it. Um, that when fans really love a movie, and the fans make it a hit, and the, and suddenly the studio starts getting all this money for it, and they don't even know why, and, and they don't realize it's coming from cable and video until after they start figuring it out, and then it's, it's like the fans have conventions and stuff like that. Do you mean like a sleeper hit? It's it's sort of like it it it's that's that is the term, but that's that's more still more of when something is a newer movie. There's another movie, another movie, another name. Uh, I can think of sleeper hit or cult classic. That's it. But I mean, cult classic could have been a hit when it came out. It just endures. It keeps going. Well, um, it's because it's a movie. It's uh, well, it's sort of like Star Trek. The fans made it what right. it became um but it's a movie instead of a, a, a series okay uh, but like there uh, there's a name for it just you know age just went right out of my head but but <laughs> but what i'm saying is that if the the makers of the movie the producers the movie the writer the the director the mu music the creative people the actors everybody who's a part of it want to be there, love the concept, love the movie, gave their all to it, 
somehow, it sooner or later, it will reach that audience. Yes, yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, Christopher Reeve went to that movie right from Superman. He wanted something, he, he didn't want to be put into the superhero category. He wanted to have a different, diverse career. And this, that was the first movie he picked. Ah, huh, okay. That's really cool. So, I mean, he loved the script. You know what I mean? And Jane Seymour just came off of um, Bond. when she And she actually pushed her way into the movie. She wanted the part <laughs> so badly. So, I, it's, wow, that's, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. We've learned about really cool old, uh, uh, fun, like, kind of classic movie stuff from you. That's my head. I, that's my thing. I can't stop it. <laughs> your passion right yeah that's my mom's fault yeah my mom was really into um she she brought me up my dad was the book person my mom was the movie person so but that's why i'm so mine's so weird (laughs) i I had this real creative pair of parents um my dad could tell you in science fiction, every book, every anything that was ever made, my mom could do the same with movies. My mom recognized movie stars who wanted to be incognito. I mean, and she, oh, and she knew their, and she knew their whole history. Every star. Oh well, she was married to her. I mean him. She was married to him, and and you know that he didn't really want to do that movie. Okay. Anyway, so that's my little problem. I have a, I have, I, I remember every movie, TV show, and book I ever loved. That's that's. I don't know that that's a huge problem. I think that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Revisit into classics. Yeah, I I just I've always been that way. I mean, I I can still do supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Which is fantastic as a. The Mary Poppins tongue twister. Yep. Yeah. Oh, how many Gen Xers ran around as kids memorizing that? Exactly. <laughs> Rapid firing it off, right? When I was a little girl, gas stations used to give um, presents. I don't know, giveaways. And one of the giveaways that the gas station my dad used to go to was a Disney album. And I used to play certain songs to distraction. I guess like they do with Barney, except mine was a lot more fun because it was Jungle Book and Aristocrats. I mean, Aristocats. Oh, yeah. And all those yeah. Uh, uh, classic Disney movies. But one of my favorite songs to sing along was Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Things would be quite atrocious. I love that song. I mean, it's just one of my favorites. So, um, yeah. Uh, it was, um, it had like Mickey Mouse on the cover, even, I I think they had the song from uh, Fantasia, one of the songs from Fantasia on there. Um, oh. Yeah, it was like, it was really cool, it was really, it was a free giveaway, you know, and I think it had a big sticker on it that said Shell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back then, they had, oh, there's all kinds of stuff that they had back then. They the the gas stations were full service, so it was and and there was um, pricing wars, and they used to have these giveaways. But there were also like green stamps and blue stamps, and you could get like uh, my mom got my 
Barbie's dollhouse from Saving Green Stamps and um, wow, <laughs> it was it, yeah. There, there's all kinds of stuff, and they it, basically you got wow. it for getting gas or going to the right convenience store or something like that. And and oh, as your awesome. change, you got the stamps. I mean, you got the your change and the stamps. Really cool. I have now made a note to myself to research that because that's a detail that needs to land in a book somewhere. It was a cool world, really. Um, I mean, I was a little girl, but I, it's obviously still imprinted in my brain because I still remember it quite well. That's uh, yeah, that's a really that's a neat thing. I love little details like that. Yeah, I mean, you could with those green stamps and blue stamps, you could get anything. You could get <laughs> you could get a TV set if you got enough. That's a little bit mind-boggling. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, but also supremely cool. It was supremely cool. I mean, I think they got my brother, uh, me, my Barbie center, and my brother a train set, which my dad liked to play with, too. Of course, because trains are cool. <laughs> <laughs> right? If Sheldon taught us anything on Big Bang Theory, it's that trains are cool. Trains are cool. I love going on a train. <laughs> I've been on trains lots of times. They're just yes, they have these. Uh, they have these marvelous uh, at Griffith Park in in uh, in L.A. They have this uh, marvelous mini train track that you can actually go for rides on. It's uh, it's really it's a lot of fun. It's ridiculously. It, it's not like it's not like a kids' attraction so much. They're uh, like immaculately sculpted, two scale miniature trains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember those. I was I was brought up in L.A., so we used to climb all over those trains. Ah. Um, uh, I like going there at Halloween because you you get to go through. They have the entire track haunted and pop up ghosts and fun projections and it's uh, it's it's a a cool attraction. Yeah, I like I like those. I love the stuff at the park. I love my favorite place though is the observatory. Yes, it's beautiful up there. That's my. I uh, I know it's been renovated. Leonard Nimoy paid for a renovation up there, um, but I haven't seen it since the renovation. Have you? Yeah, I was there just uh, a couple months before the pandemic started. So what? So two years ago. So what's different? What do they do different? I don't know. I didn't uh, get to visit a lot before the renovation. Oh, I was dying yeah, to know. Sorry. <laughs> I'm dying to know because I haven't been able to get to I'm, LA. I'm missing a key. I'm missing a key part of that DNA. <laughs> I just wanted to know what was different. Um, <laughs> I know it was a big deal and everybody went crazy and all that, but I haven't seen it yet. So, and I have a really good visual memory, so I remember exactly what was up there. So I'm just curious. <laughs> well, at some point you got to make it back up there. Yeah. Uh, I find it, uh, it's, it's inspiring to be up there, uh, even for writing, like, majestic views, stuff like that. I I look down at the city and um, just think about all the people and look at all the cars driving around and the patterns and story ideas start to pop into my head. It's, it's fun. It is. I love, I love that place. Um, and you're right by the Hollywood sign. You can get really good pictures of the Hollywood sign from the observatory. Just letting you know, if you're if you've never been to LA and you want to go to the uh, get a good picture of the Hollywood sign, and it's really kind of dangerous to take it from your car while you're driving, 
Um, just letting you know, don't do that. Um, but you can get a really good picture of the Hollywood sign from from up on the observatory. Um, right, you know, there's a you can go up into the observatory, and there's also like a little balcony that's below it that you could get. You go outside, and you can t get a picture from uh, of the Hollywood sign too. Just letting you know, much safer than your car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> People have actually gotten into really bad car accidents trying to take a picture of the Hollywood sign. It just doesn't surprise me. I'm like, uh, how can you be that focused on taking a tourist picture uh, and risk your family's life? Anyway, um, so what's the movie that she shot? Uh, can you tell me what the movie's about, or is it not at that point yet? I can tell you a little bit. It's a kind of coming-of-age story about two stepbrothers who one's very sciencey, one's very into surfing. It, it is a surf movie, a surfer movie. And they have to kind of start learn to get along to help each other out. But uh, what makes it different than just, you know, a, a standard Hallmark version of that story, that it's got a really pretty funny B-plot about this local inept con man who's trying to start a surf cult. To me, it made it a lot of fun and, and really funny. And uh, two things that I can mention, um, it was really cool. I got to work with Corbin Burnson, Ooh. and I got to work with uh, Aaron Douglas. Cool. So, yeah, um, Corbin from, you know, Psych, Major League, L.A. Law, name, the, the, name it. Um, and then Aaron, of course, in the, the science fiction and fantasy world, you know, Battlestar Galactica, X-Men, Supernatural, like, where hasn't he popped up and shown that awesome grin of his? Um, so it, it was really cool getting to work with the two of them. Yeah, two very good veteran actors. I like yeah, them both. Yeah. I actually uh, really liked Corbin and Syke. He was really good in that show. Yes, yes, Henry Spencer, Sean's dad. Yeah. Um, yes, and... and uh, uh, apparently he had a, the world's largest snow globe collection so one of the things that happened on set was he received a gift snow globe uh, as a thank you for coming and shooting the film how sweet is that so that was that was fun to do I love that um, yes and the name of the film um, its disposition for distribution isn't known yet um, there's multiple sets of conversations happening. I'll have more info down the road, but the film is called Web of Life. So, yeah. Okay. And um, what's the name of your short story in, um, you know, the one you were talking about that was in? Oh. Um, I, you, you, you mentioned a couple short stories, so. The two, the I did. The, two publications. The, yeah. People can just go look up um, Jeff Sturgeon's Last Cities of Birds for, for, for that one. Um, the other one, because I don't know the name of the book yet, uh, my story is called uh, Black Box. Black Box. And it's going to be showing up in um, this fall in uh, Steampunk in Space. I don't know the name of the anthology yet. Edited by David Boop uh, and being released by Bank. And yes. what book are you, I know you're working on a book. Do you have a book that's coming out, or are you just working on a book? And can you tell us anything about the book that you're working on? Or if not, whatever's coming I out. I can. <laughs> I can. The next book coming out, publisher is unsure of the title. I, I had called it The Undone Second. 
I originally wanted to title it Split Second. Um, it's a sequel to my first book, but it stands alone, so you don't need to have read the first book. It's a time travel book that you can read in any order. And you still get build-up conflict resolution. Because it ties to that first novel that I ever wrote, it's a reset of that timeline based on something that happened in that novel. But because it's a reset of the timeline with new characters, it, it hits some of the same points that have to happen in the timeline, but it's a new weaving of that story um, that stands alone by itself. Cool. And that was a lot of fun to write. Uh, things like, what would Kung Fu look like for a time traveler uh, who can look at collapsing probability waveforms to try to predict their opponent's moves using time travel? And just lots of fun concepts that I got to like dig into and play with uh, in, in that book. Um, that's the one that's coming out, I, I want to say, either late fall or early winter. I don't have the publication uh, date yet, but I believe that was one they said I was calendared for. And then the real fun is that I'm doing something a little bit different this time. I'm writing five novels at once right now. You are. I love you, Peter, but you're crazy. <laughs> I'm having a blast doing it. And I can give you the rundown on those because... Uh, some of them already have homes. Um, one of them already has a movie option, uh, despite the fact that the book's only partway done. <laughs> uh, so, so there, there, there's some life in those books. Yeah. The uh, and and let what, me tell you, when I was you working gonna, on set, oh, go ahead. I was gonna for add, twelve add, hours on set. Uh -huh. I have a day thing that I'm doing that I'm working to just as long as the pandemic lasts. I've been working on helping with like supply. Uh, we, we talked earlier about the friend that was telling me about that stuff. So he kind of recruited me and I ended up, uh, uh, I've been working on some pandemic related stuff, trying to do my part and help out. Um, so, so I was doing that eight hours every day and then writing for an hour, 12 hours on set, sleep for two and a half hours and back at it. That was some exhausting time. Yeah, but, I bet. But it was fun. <laughs> it, it was it was fun. Um, so what so yes. what are the names of the ones you can tell me about? I'll tell you about Canton Bounties first. Those short stories that I write uh, about the, the two con men in 1890s, I'm doing their first novel. Oh, cool. And it's a blast. Uh, it has been called uh, by some of the people who have read some of the content. Um, my favorite one was... was was uh, it was read, handed back to me, and the, the the comment was, "This is like reading Akira Kurosawa shooting Firefly, but set in 1890." <laughs> I was like, "Well, that is some high praise. I will take that." Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And and that's a blast because you know putting con jobs on paper. And there's multiple con jobs that have to happen to make this storyline that I envisioned for the book happen. Um, so I'm having a blast with that. The next one that I'm working on is called The Infinite Lives of Fruity Zank. And it is about a pernicious redhead on a planet called Pervidia Prime, uh, who is a uh, thought provocateur detective on social media and uh, like an actual you know social media policing. And she gets sucked into the multiverse and starts meeting different versions of herself. Uh, like, what would she be like if she was a physicist? What should, would she be like if she was a 
a transgender surfer? What would she be like if she was a, a real estate agent? Like all these different versions of herself. And she starts to grow as a person uh, while she resolves the storyline. And that one is a blast to write because the, 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 I, my narrator in that one is an absurdist. It's, it, it, it's, I would say that if I had inspirations for the novel, it, w- it would have come from reading, you know, Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett when I was young. Wow. Cool. And so, so I'm having a ton of fun writing that. The next two are actually a step out of science fiction and fantasy. Well, one of them kind of is. So the next one I'm working on is called Jane versus the Apocalypse. That one uh, has a home. Uh, so as soon as it's done, we'll start the publication schedule. And <laughs> Jane versus the Apocalypse is about a, a slacker, uh, very in touch with her own ennui um, grad student who happens to be on campus and the one person who can figure out what actually happened when a zombie outbreak happens on a college campus and the National Guard seals off the campus and she's racing the clock trying to solve it and save everybody before the National Guard says this is too big of a risk we have to just wipe this area out but the whole time she's just a super reluctant hero she doesn't want to be doing this she doesn't like that she's the one that's doing this it just so she's struggling with that the whole time and I'm having I'm having a lot of fun writing that there's a little bit of humor in that it's much more action thriller but there's also some humor in that one. Um, and then the next book that I'm working on is, uh, which also already has a publisher, and this is going to be part of the tricky thing is communicating between the different publishers so that, you know, as I turn these books in, I don't have, you know, books coming out a week apart or anything like that, making sure that there's appropriate time windows so that they're not stepping on each other's feet. But um, the, the, the next one is, a very far cry. It's not sci-fi fantasy at all. Um, it's actually a straight-up thriller, uh, like action thriller. Um, and the working title right now is Dead Man Walking, and it's a new series uh, that's going to be called The 99, and it is about an MMA champion fighter who gets pulled to take a dive by the mob, and when he refuses the mob kills him and his family. Only he survives, goes into hiding, uh, and gets kind of nursed back to health and uh, and then trained by a former Mossad agent. Uh, and she helps him concoct this plan to put out a hit on himself to draw the assassins that killed his family out of hiding. And it's it's about that, and that's just going to be straight up fun action thriller. Wow, that sounds interesting. It's I'm I'm having fun, and I'm getting you know a couple thousand words in every night of one or the other of the books, uh, so they're they're all growing. Um, and I do have a fifth one that I work on occasionally, but it's moving a little bit slower than the other four, uh, okay. and it doesn't have a home yet. So that that may be the the next thing that I talk about. Uh, you know, in a couple of years. Okay. Oh, I feel sorry for the lead character. That's awful. So he left his whole family. Yes, yes. But I mean, 
you know, I was I was thinking about like I was thinking about that really I, that interesting matrix that 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 recipe of like okay the guy doesn't know who these people are he knows who the mob boss was but he doesn't know who the people who actually killed them are how is he going to do this well he's going to put out a large enough hit on himself that he's just going to start drawing assassins out of the woodwork to come after him and start defending himself until he finds the right one and we're not going to shed that many tears because he's killing some really bad people mm mm-hmm. Right, and and I realized that as he works his way through, there's a reason it's called the 99. No, there won't be 99 books, but uh, as he works his way through, uh, you know, I was envisioning almost like a, like old David Carradine kung fu, where he's just kind of a drifter, uh, working his way across the states, occasionally dropping information about himself in the new community to draw out people, and finding somebody to help on the way so that he can grow as a person. And, start to heal from that tragedy that happened to him. That's interesting. So, but he's not going to be like a Buddhist priest, right? No, no, no. <laughs> not at all. He, he was, uh, he, the two central characters are um, the main character who is a younger, uh, he was an MMA fighter, he was a championship fighter, had a terrific record, and, um, and then his mentor who I guess if anyone, she would be the more monk-like character, but she's definitely not. She's uh, a, a retired from the Mossad, and she was one of the premier assassins. And uh, it's it really interesting. I was doing research for it, and uh, you know some of the statistics out there, 66% of Mossad assassins are women. Mm. They're better at the job, they're more lethal, and they're more skilled. And it's crazy. Like uh, Researching this character, I was like, wow. I just thought it would be cool to have, but actually the facts are bearing me out and there's a lot of great, great fodder out there for her character. Don't get mad at me, but she sounds sort of like Fiona, except Fiona was IRA from Burn Notice. Yeah, she's, uh, I definitely could see that once you read her, very different character. Okay. Yep. No, I just, because, you know, she's, uh, She's XIRA, but she cares about people, especially women and children. And she's great. Oh, yeah. at, she's great with plastic and. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Fiona was a really great character. No, my um, my Mossad uh, assassin. She's uh, of course an expert in Krav Maga, and that's part of where the main character's fusion of Krav Maga and um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for mixed martial arts comes in because, the, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, like sand forms out there like, oh, which of these styles would win? It's like the people who do part, practice both are like, well, they're actually equal but different. You know, <laughs> so it's really weird to try to say which one would beat the other because that's not really how it works. Yeah. And uh, uh, she's she's in, in, intensely skilled in hand-to-hand, but she's actually, she's almost like a tinfoil hat-wearing like survivalist needs to be out of the city. She runs a solar farm and sells power back to the grid in Nevada. And that's, that's you know, how she's gotten away from being part of society. And, uh, yeah, she's a fun, fun character to, to work on. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, so, any, do you, is there, um, Anything else you want to tell me? Because we're coming to the end. I just didn't know exactly how to check 
transition to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I figured that with a couple of like uh, little technical difficulties that we had, I know I'm giving the audience a peek behind the cover that there were cuts that happened. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I figured that we must be getting on that 45 because yeah. we're we're well past it on our actual timer. Yes. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to. Is there anything we missed, or anything you want to tell the audience about? I I I will leave all the other fun things that I've been up to for for later. Okay. All right. Uh, Got to be something for next show, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, do you have a website, and what is your um, name on the different social media? Oh, yes. Uh, I am so horrible about keeping my online up to date right now with how busy I've been on all the projects. But uh, you can find me at peterjwax.net. That's W-A-C-K-S. Uh, and remember, .net, not .com. Uh, I'm at peterjwax on Twitter, uh, forward slash Peter J Wax on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I think that's everything. Okay. Okay. Um, I know you're really busy, and I really appreciate that you came on the show, especially since you're doing five novels at once. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a blast. I really, really and appreciate thank you for it. having me. It, uh, it's it's nice to. <laughs> stretch and blink and realize there's a world outside of the words on the page in front of me sometimes. Yeah, I know how you feel. Uh, it's nice to get to talk with another person. <laughs> yes. Um, I really want to thank you for your time. I, like I said, I, I, like, I always appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, and thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you.